Jesse, how you doing? Katie, I'm pretty scared right now. Is somebody looking in your window? What's going on? Uh, in a sense, yes. So this listener who I, you know, I think they thought they were helping, they sent me this National Geographic article and um, it has to do with the Pigeon Wars, Katie. I don't want to oh. revisit the Pigeon Wars. No one wants to hear more about the Pigeon Wars, but this is about the Pigeon Wars. I, actually, that's all I want to hear about. I think this should be a podcast about the Pigeon Wars. For our millions of new listeners, the Pigeon Wars, um, the Wikipedia page lists it as, I believe, November... 2022 mm-hmm. to approximately May 2023. Uh, it involved these gap between my building and the next building being infested with these disgusting rats with wings, waking me up sometimes as early as 5 or 6 a.m. when I normally sleep until you know 1 or 2 p.m. like a normal podcaster. People are probably judging you for this, but what, what they don't understand is that podcasters need at least 16 to 18 hours of sleep a night. We're like cats. Yes. We're basically cats in so many. We need to be True. rubbed. We eat a lot. Uh, so, you know, there was a whole thing. I put up spikes. The building next door wouldn't put up spikes, blah, blah, blah. We talked about a lot of the podcast. And, and the spikes, to be clear, the spikes are they're spikes that you put uh, the head of a, of a deceased pigeon on to scare away the other pigeon, correct? Uh, yes. Or these are spikes you put on your, on your windowsill and they don't hurt the birds, but the birds learn they can't land there. Anyway, we resolved it with some netting between the building. I have been pigeon free, blessedly so, for months now. Although as soon as I say that, I feel like 12 pigeons are just going to cut through the net. Anyway, this National Geographic article, it's headlined, the perfect revenge? Question mark. Birds are building fortresses from anti-bird spikes. <laughs> And it includes a terrifying photo of, I guess, the equivalent of like a bird exurban mega mansion made entirely from spikes and like leaves and garbage. And the only good news is that this is apparently magpies doing it. And I don't, I don't, it really depends on the current state of magpie pigeon relations. Like, are they sharing technology? Do they get together for drinks? Because if there's one magpie pigeon happy hour and the pigeons learn, uh, we're just screwed. So I don't know what to do. What you need to do is call the pigeons out on Twitter. You need to expose them for what they are, which, which is settler colonizers. Uh, it reminds me of a quote from the article. They take the stuff we use to try to deter birds, and they make a nest out of it, and then make more birds, says Auki Florian Heemstra, some sort of European. That's just a brilliant way to fight the system. Nice to see some, <laughs> nice to see some birds fighting back. They're freedom fighters, yes. This is not going to end well for you. <laughs> Jesus, they're freedom fighters. <laughs> All right, so that's what's up with me. Katie, what is the name of this increasingly bird-obsessed podcast? This is Blocked and Reported, and I'm Katie Herzog. And I'm Jesse Single. Today, we're going to give you our long-awaited episode on a man in a dress. It was supposed to be last episode. Katie cruelly pushed it because she wanted to talk about like zoo- zoophilia, a word we've been pronouncing zoo animals zoo just animals. Zoo animals. yeah just zoo animals you're right it, wasn't. it was an, it was an animal centric episode totally it was very animal centric but first katie um there's a weird story you want to talk about and i'm trying to figure out how to put this basically a an important historical figure is undergoing uh, there's been some um rethinking of his legacy is that safe to say yeah, there's been a little bit of a rebranding, you could say, sort of like when George W. Bush pivoted from being an international war criminal to being a painter. <laughs> this is like that, yeah. but with Osama bin Laden. But more. But more. <laughs> with Osama more. bin Laden. I, I've been mostly off Twitter. I have no idea how this started, what's going on. All I know is that people are posting videos 
that seem to be like sort of pro Osama bin Laden. That's exactly what's happening. And these aren't videos in Arabic. Right. These are English language videos by white people. Okay, so what happened is that Yashir Ali, friend of the pod, he posted a compilation of videos of clips that he got from TikTok of people discovering the writings of one, yes, Osama bin Laden. (laughs) Let's watch part of that now. This morning I read Letter to America, which is Osama bin Laden's letter to America explaining why he attacked Americans. And I am ashamed to say that I not only have never read this letter, but I didn't even know this letter existed. It's wild, and everyone should read it. If you haven't read it yet, read it. However, be forewarned that this has left me very disillusioned, and I feel the same exact way I felt when I was deconstructing Christianity. I feel... Uh, a little bit just confused, like I have entered into another timeline. Oh, what is this? No. And yeah, so go read it. So I just read a letter to America, and I will never look at life the same. I will never look at this country the same. I will never. I please read it, and if you have read it. Let me know if you are also going through an existential crisis in this very moment, because in the last 20 minutes, my entire viewpoint on the entire life I have believed and I have lived has changed. Please read that entire letter. I need everyone to stop what they're doing right now and go read. It's literally two pages. Go read a letter to America. And please come back here and just let me know what you think. Because I feel like I'm going through like an existential crisis right now. And a lot of people are. So I just need someone else to be feeling this too. I need you to stop what you're doing and go read. Okay, Katie? Yes. People are, this is the exact same way like nerds talk about Lord of the Rings. (laughs) You will never never be the same. This is, okay. Uh, Remind everyone what, what the letter to America was. Okay, we'll get into the details of the letter to America shortly. But basically, this was a letter that Osama, an open letter that Osama bin Laden wrote. About to, free speech in journalism. <laughs> yes, to the, about the New York Times transgender coverage uh, in 2002. It was published on The Guardian. It was published by The Guardian in 2002. After it started to go viral, The Guardian took it off of their website because, of course, that always works. But, Jesse, tell me your first reactions to this, besides the the fact that it's fucking hilarious. I, I mean, I it, if I read the letter in whole, it would have been 20 years ago almost. But um, it is fucking hilarious. It's like the Internet has given too many people a voice. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. we're two examples of that. But, like, these yes. people just discovering that there were critiques of American foreign policy and that right. Osama bin Laden disliked American foreign policy and be like, oh my God, guys, guys, you got to check out the letter. You got to read the letter. It's just very funny to me because it's like, it's just, it's just like the most 2023 thing I've ever seen. And it's also, you keep forgetting, or I keep forgetting the first woman looked maybe our age. She could have been a soccer mom, but you just keep fucking forgetting how young people have gotten. There's 20 year olds now born after nine 11, for whom this is probably new, especially given the American public education system. Right. I think it actually makes perfect sense that Osama bin Laden would become a Zoomer icon. Like, just look at the guy. He's an influencer. Absolutely. He's world famous. Yep. He's tall, mm-hmm. brown, yep. bearded. He's a freedom fighter. You're making me want you're making me want to date him just describing him. He's Polly. He had five wives. Very sex positive. He's, 
He's anti-capitalist, anti-Zionist, mostly vegetarian. Yes, sex positive. He had a large and eclectic collection of pornography. He loved Whitney Houston <laughs> oh, wait, is anime. That, is that true about Whitney Houston? Yes, this is everything I'm saying is true. He loved Whitney Houston, anime, gaming, poetry, world travel, jihad, and soccer slash football. He was a family man and had between 20 and 26 children. He was very spiritual. He's a Pisces. On the other hand, he is a baby boomer, and he was a little sus on trans rights. But otherwise, for a Zoomer, what's not to love? I, you have to, in in much the same way, if Hitler had been accepted as a painter early on. <laughs> exactly. If, you could have just given Osama bin Laden a YouTube channel. Yes. And TikTok. he would have gotten so much adulation from the from like lefties who were like, yeah, fuck America. Maybe his energy would have been directed toward brand building and social media marketing instead of violent jihad. Well, until they found out that he was a Nepo baby. <laughs> His father was <laughs> that, a billionaire. That yeah, that's true. That would have set it off. Yeah, somebody else tweeted that. I can't take credit for that. Okay, yeah, my first reaction to this was, what the fuck? But then I remembered that I walked into my freshman year comp class on September 12th, 2001, and declared, we had it coming. Direct quote. You've told this yes. story so many times. I feel like you view this as a very proud moment. I'm, I'm not proud of it, but I think it is telling. Uh, and this was such an unremarkable take among my the my peers at my like the low rent hippie school where I went to college that I would not have remembered that this happened if my professor hadn't put it in her memoir years later. Yeah. And my point is that it is completely normal for young people to have idiotic, uninformed opinions because they are vaguely aware that the US has been involved in some, you know, rather problematic foreign policy decisions over the past few decades. And right. like you you know, you once dated a dude who loved Howard Zen. Or you once or you once dated Howard Zen. Or you once yes. Uh, age gap there. Uh, but this one was jarring for a couple of reasons. For one, the girl, it's mostly girls in the compilation and they're hot. I was not hot when I said that the US deserved it. I looked like Ani DeFranco, Dalston, Bongwater. These people look like normies. You're right. That is disturbing. If it had been ugly people singing right. Osama's praises, I would be like, of course, they're ugly. You know? It's not even it's not even so much about ugly versus hot. It's the fact that they look like normies. And normies are not supposed to think that 9-11 was good, actually. They're supposed yeah. to like wear their keffiyeh because it was on the sale rack at Urban Outfitters, not because it's going to keep them warm while they're chanting death to America at the big free Palestine protest. <laughs> and this does seem logically to me, and I'm, I'm sort of speculating here, but it does seem logical that this would be a continuation of young people getting radicalized because they have recently discovered Palestine and they think that brown people are good, white people slash Jews are Karens, and they saw some memes on Instagram about late capitalism and settler colonialism. And like obviously there are very real human rights abuses happening in Gaza and the West Bank and more global awareness. Nah. Yes. Oh, I know. No. It's a controversial statement. And more sympathy for oppressed people is not a bad thing, but like when this leads to TikTok hotties declaring that Osama bin Laden was good actually there's something weird going on here when there's a, a manifesto by someone like Osama bin Laden or maybe more famously the Unabomber he actually did have a point he had some points I, I just watched a documentary <laughs> about him I have he had a lot of points <laughs> I have never read his manifesto because I still have to get through Harry Potter which I've never touched um, he was an AGP that was he was a repressed AGP didn't one person think that yeah I think that oh I couldn't remember if you were I thought there was something about it anyway no um, there is uh, okay, we, whatever. There'll be plenty of AGP talk. <laughs> Kitty, you just you just want to jump the uh, blow your AGP wad too early. Yeah, jump the dress. Um, 
No, but it's like, you know, there are people who commit terrorist acts who also have like fair points. I'm sure, I mean, we'll get to the letter, but yeah, the way these people are presented. Do you want to make a list? Should we rank them? Terrorists who had fair points. Well, I mean. Uh, Rogers. Uh, Nelson Mandela. He was violent at one oh, point. That's true. Yeah. That, people love pointing that out. I mean, it's true. But anyway, um, yeah, if you write a lot, if people uh, uh, stopped Osama is right twice a day. And it's not like every one of his critiques of American foreign policy was incorrect, but I, my personal view, and I've never said this publicly, is that 9-11 was bad and that he shouldn't have done it. You're just saying that because you don't want people to know that the Jews did it. That's what's happening here. No, they um, called all the Jews the morning exactly. of and they said, stay home, something big is, is, is going down. And the, the voice on the phone had an Israeli accent. So let's discuss what is in this letter. So you, have, you read it a long time ago. Yeah. Okay. So I had never read it. Um, like these people, I, I, I think I say I did. I don't know. Yeah. I think I did. I must have. I was so smart back then. Okay. So as I mentioned earlier, the Guardian took it off their website because, of course, that always <laughs> that always works. So we got an archive version. That's so yeah, dumb, so by dumb. the way. Like, how can you imagine a better way right. to draw more attention from right. dumb people to it than to turn it into forbidden knowledge? Dumb people and podcasters. Also, the the Guardian is silencing the voice of a, a person of color. A, a BIPOC. That's true. So we got an archive version and I read it and it's about what you would expect. Like the writing is a little less fiery than I typically like for my manifestos and like it could have used a good edit, but he does describe some reasonable reasons for a person to object to American foreign policy. I'm not saying it's reasonable to kill 3,000 people. Like he names U.S. occupation and involvement in a number of conflicts, particularly in Muslim countries. He names sanctions that starve children in Iraq. All of this is real. These, But even if there are good reasons to criticize American foreign policy or even hate America, the letter very quickly devolves into this fundamentalist moralizing and bigotry. And it is, in fact, quite anti-Semitic. Osamo's anti-Semitic? I know it's shocking. Say it ain't so. Huh. He, it, okay. Give me, give me one. Give just give me one example, Katie. I'm sort of doubt this. The Jews have taken control of your economy, through which they have then taken control of your media and now control all aspects of your life, making you their servants and achieving their aims at your expense. Precisely what Benjamin Franklin warned you against. You know, I think in this case, actually, you sort of have taken control of my media. I so I will say what you just read. I want to give my honest view on this. That could be construed as anti-Semitic. The Jews have taken control of your economy. You know, that could be construed as anti-Semitic. Am I your servant? It's more that I pull the strings determining every aspect of your life and economic prospects in ways you can't discern, but that's not neither here nor there and not what we're talking about today. Okay, I'm going to ignore that. Uh, okay, so let's focus on that last part for a second. Precisely what Benjamin Franklin warned you against. Benjamin Franklin was the man. I went to his <laughs> museum once in Philly. I want him to not be anti-Semitic, so I hope you're not about to deliver some bad news. I'm not going to deliver some bad news unless you're Osama Good. bin Laden or a TikTok uh, anti-Semite. So this is a reference to his speech called The Franklin Prophecy, also known as The Franklin Forgery. Oh. <laughs> and it's a conspiracy theory that falsely attributes a speech calling for the ban of Jewish immigrants to the U.S. to Ben Franklin. This is widely... If even Osama bin Laden can fall for fake I know. news, what hope is there for the I rest know. of us? But this was before. There was no Snopes back then when he wrote this. This was the problem. Things could have been... Or factcheck.org. This could have been... To the world could be a totally different place if we had had Snopes and factcheck.org. Um, so this is widely considered a myth, a conspiracy theory. I'll put a link to a tablet article in the show notes for further reading. Of course, tablet. <laughs> They do literally yeah, control do. that media. They do. Okay, so that's just a little bit of the taste of the anti-Semitism. There's more. We'll post a link to the <laughs> to the to the archive version. Okay, on a, that what you just read me on my anti-Semitism scale of one to four uh -huh. pogroms. 
three and a half, three and a half. Okay, so if you want more, you can just look at the document and search for the term Jews. All right, so he also <laughs> writes this. You are a nation that permits acts of immorality, and you consider them true. to be pillars of personal freedom. You have continued to sink down this abyss from level to level until incest has spread Hot. amongst you, in the face of which neither your sense of honor nor your laws object. Jesse, I think this is what <laughs> happens when you get all of your news from your eclectic collection of pornography. He thinks that incest is rampant in the United States. What was on like- And that it's legal. Wait, when was Al Jazeera founded? I'm curious about like circa 2000 Al Jazeera. Where is he getting that incest is legal in the States? Believe me, I've advocated endlessly yes. for that to be the case, but but it's fallen on deaf ears. I'm curious about the origins of that conspiracy theory. I don't know, but I have a quick fact check for him. Incest is in fact criminal in all states, even consensual incest. There, If there is incest going on in this country, it is not legal. It is only happening on his television screen. I mean, in 1896, the state of sibling fuck Vaney was briefly founded, <laughs> but that, that ended quickly. All right, continuing. Who can forget your President Clinton's immoral acts committed in the Oval Office? Hell yeah. After that, you did not even bring him to account. Other than that, he made a mistake, after which... That's in quotes. Right. Air quotes. Air quotes. No, that's a quote. The made a mistake is quote. After which, everything passed with no punishment. Is there a worse kind of event for which your name will go down in history and remember donations? <laughs> there is. It's called the Vietnam War. There's so many. L- I was going to say, yes. there's so many layers here. Indeed. Bill Clinton was impeached. Wait, wait, wait. You don't remember when Ken Starr was like, guys, guys, he made a mistake. Newt Gingrich. It's cool. Everybody was just like, the, the, yes. the Ken Starr report, it was just one sentence. Blowjobs are awesome. <laughs> he, is here. he is free to go. Um... <laughs> It is funny, like a worse kind of event, given all the other shit we've done, including Vietnam. But also, it's sort of funny that this led us to doing some of the worst shit we've done in Iraq and Afghanistan as well. So it's uh, it's all connected. Uh, continuing, and because of this, you have been described in history as a nation that spreads diseases that were unknown to man in the past. Go ahead and boast to the nations of man that you brought them AIDS as a satanic American invention. That is in all caps. Fact check. Once again, AIDS jumped from chimps to humans in Africa, not the US. We just made it gay. So take it up with the apes, Osama. Well, he's dead, but continue. You have destroyed nature with your industrial waste and gases more than any other nation in history. Despite this, you refuse to sign the Kyoto Agreement so that you can secure the profit of your greedy companies and industries. Okay, he's got a point there. What I think happened was there was like a 22-ish year old recent college graduate, a Jewish wannabe writer who couldn't find an internship in New York or DC. So he interned with Osama. Osama's writing this letter. And the guy's like, this is a little bit harsh, a little anti-Semitic. Let's let's just throw the progressives a bone. And Osama's like, okay, blah, 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 Kyoto Agreement. Although, like, think about the chemicals that were released by 9-11. That's not exactly helping. Yeah, that was the carbon footprint of 9-11. Not great. So a lot of the document is conspiratorial. It's a historical. It's bigoted. And it's just wrong. And I am curious what the people from TikTok actually learn from this. Like, why are their minds blown that Osama bin Laden was motivated by U.S. foreign policy and not just that he, like, hates us for our freedoms, as they said in a post-9-11 world on talk radio? It just, it makes me wonder, 
what they thought 9-11 was about before they read this this letter. Did like did they think that he just really hated American reality TV and McDonald's? Why is this mind blowing? Everybody should know. Like you have to be very ignorant to not be aware that 9-11 was largely about American interventions abroad, specifically in Muslim countries. Of course, with some anti-Zionism and, you know, complaints about our heathen lifestyles thrown in. Sure. Well, and what's interesting about all this is like you know, people who are too young don't remember the true hysteria that descended on America after 9-11, where you could get really pilloried. And in some cases, there'd be career consequences just for pointing this out, because the line... I mean, Bill Maher's show is canceled. Yeah, for saying something that, like, was frankly true. He said they were brave. Or he said... Like, it takes a lot of guts to, to get on, to hijack an airplane and, and fly it into this it. This is definitely like a high decoupling, low decoupling thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, like, it, it is objectively true that it, it requires bravery to kill yourself to in a terrorist for a cause. Are, is our show going to get pulled from ABC <laughs> right. for this? Um, uh, but no, there was this real climate of like, you know, nationalism and panic. And one of the dumbest lines was they hate us for our freedom, yes. which is a real oversimplification. Now, and these TikTokers you, seem to have bought that. So. And now you could like, you can reject. They hate us for our freedom without going full, never go full Osama. Um, but yeah, you, it's much the same way you understand the roots of crime without, uh, you know, affirming that crime is good. You can understand the roots of terrorism without being like, yeah, Osama's the man. He made a lot of good points. So uh, the panic was so real. And it's easy at this point, 20 years later to look back on and see how ridiculous it was. But like, remember the level, the, the levels, the terrorism levels, like yeah. there's a, there's a, a yellow, we're on a yellow alert, Pink like, sparkly. A, like a wildfire alert. Pink spark, yeah. Uh, I think purple was the highest. You remember Freedom Fries? Freedom Fries, yes. They replaced French Fries, I think, in the... They replaced French Fries with Freedom Fries in the Congressional Cafeteria or the Pentagon Cafeteria. Yeah, um, there were... Dixie Chicks got in trouble. It was a hysterical yes. time because we had faced like an, an insane trauma and the craziest fucking start to the 21st century imaginable now and there were a few truth tellers such as myself walking into class and declaring the truth we deserve mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. yep um yeah it's interesting to go back to that there's also like a really sick culture of like you're not allowed to criticize the iraq war because that means you hate the troops which is fucking right. psychotic but there was but it's also true that there were massive protests yeah against war against i mean i went to them it was Definitely, was of course there was a lot of silencing. There was a lot of pressure to conform. Uh, there was a lot of jingoism and nationalism. And I, you know, after, on the day after nine eleven, I went to my college quad and held hands with everybody else, and we stood around the American flag, and people cried like this was a a it was a traumatizing time. Wait, so you did that before or after you said it was our fault? I think I did it after or before. I'm not sure. Little, <laughs> so you're playing. You're playing both sides. There's a um. There's an Always Sunday where they go, there's dueling pro and anti-abortion rallies, and they want to see which has hotter women. That was you trying to figure out whether to be for or against 9-11, basically. I, I was also trying to figure out where there was hotter women. <laughs> but these TikTokers might not realize that this that what they're saying, like, oh, shit, this was because of American foreign policy. A lot of people were saying that at the time. A lot of uh, I was saying that at the time. This was not, this isn't forbidden knowledge. Yes, there were a lot of idiots on right wing media saying that this they they hate us for their freedoms. For our but, freedoms, yeah. Well, but like it was because of U.S. foreign policy is like sort of an oversimplification. That was a contributing factor. It was also like one weird charismatic terrorist who had a lot of good luck. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, obviously our foreign policy contributed to it, and most of what we've done in the Middle East from like 
the part the partitions on has been disastrous right but he didn't go fly a plane into a skyscraper in sweden like he chose he chose this country for a fucking reason they don't sweden doesn't do sky they do these cute little modular <laughs> okay, design a barn things, so yeah or whatever they have there a yurt and in terms yeah. of the tiktokers like this whole thing it is funny it's been very funny to watch the reactions to this on twitter it's also a little bit disturbing the, it is important to remember that the tiktokers praising bin laden are probably not representative of their demographics but i'm also seeing people online argue that a few hundred TikTokers posting favorably about Osama bin Laden is just like fringe internet shit, no big deal. Like serial plagiarist Ryan Broderick, he argued that these videos weren't viral until Yasher Ali posted these clips. It's definitely true that Yasher's clips made them go more viral than they were before, but The Guardian took down the article before Yasher tweeted the clips, which they would not have done if they weren't getting attention. So his order of events seemed incorrect. I still can't believe... Uh, the Guardian did that. I just, I don't know. It's a little yeah, thing in the grand move. scheme of all these bad TikTok videos, but like the editor who made that decision really should have rethought it. Right. I think you could like, it wouldn't, it wouldn't kill it. Like you could add an editor's note at the top to be like, we've seen a strange revival of interest in this or something, Some, but to take it down. Right. And most people who read this are going to see how insane it is. Yeah. He's talking about Bill Clinton getting a blowjob in the Oval Office as though that is the biggest crime the U.S. has ever committed. It is blatantly anti-Semitic. I don't think many people other than these idiots on TikTok are going to read this and be like, oh my God, good point. And then of course, a lot of people are trying to minimize this. Like Slate published an article called No Defenses of Osama Bin Laden Didn't Go Viral on TikTok. The backlash is what went viral. And the backlash for sure made them go way more viral. But the author himself in this piece writes that there were about 275 videos using the hashtag Letter to America before Yasher posted this this uh, this compilation, and that they got a collective 14 million views. And then in the next sentence, he argues that 14 million views on TikTok isn't viral. <laughs> um, I I might be sympathetic to that. Dude, is that viral? Do you, have you seen numbers on TikTok? They're fucking crazy. 14 million views is a lot of views. Whether or not it's a lot of views compared to a video of like mukbang, mukbang or whatever, or videos of like, I don't know, dogs dancing. I don't think it matters. It's a lot of fucking views. All right. I just think the number of like TikTok videos produced every minute, 275 doesn't seem that high, but it is very disturbing and interesting. No, not inter- I don't think 275 is a lot. I'm saying 14 million views is a yeah, lot of videos. Yeah, is a lot of views. Yeah. Um, well, okay. So Will Stansel, he has recently and inexplicably oh become a voice of reason on Twitter. Have you seen Wait, his, his arc? Yeah. This is our 9-11. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. He's become like, like center, like median centrist dem. It's amazing. You need to get back on tic- on Twitter just to what? see this. Wait, hold on. This is way weirder to me than anything involving Osama. Will, we're talking about the same Will Stansel, right? Yes, I'm sure. He's busy sure? like calling out leftists. Let me let me just read you what he said about this. Oh my god. Okay. Remember, when crazy ideas appear on the French right, it's a scary leading indicator that shows how radicalized the right is becoming. But when crazy ideas appear on the French left, it's just a TikTok thing and anyway, you probably cause it by talking about it, you dolt. What? That's like something I could tweet. I know. He welcome to the IDW, Will Stansel. This makes me want to like go live in a cave and plot against America. It just it rejiggers <laughs> my whole wow. Okay. You know This is actually a good thing, Jesse. It's actually a good thing. As we used to say around the time of 9-11, big ups to Will Stansel. Well, also, I mean, I think this shows that people, including idiots on TikTok or people like myself, and and even Will Stansel can grow out of their idiotic hot takes. Can you imagine being an age where you're not familiar with like 
the two most important things that happened around the turn of the century, 9-11 and the Ali G show, what that would be like to just not have any frame of reference there. The what? The Ali G show? I don't know her. I can't tell. Are you joking? <laughs> yes, I'm joking. Isn't that where Big okay. Ups came? Didn't Big Ups uh, spread to the Ali G show? I mean, after I it was know. stolen from black people. All right, continue. Okay, let me read you. Uh, there were some some good tweets about this. Let me just read you a couple of good ones. This is an account called Senior PowerPoint Engineer explaining why Bin Laden's letter to America is bad to a Zoomer. He's gaslighting you. Don't let him trauma dump on you like that. Remember, there were also BIPOC in the Twin Towers. And then our friend David Birch, Iowa Hawk blog, he tweeted, If you kids think Bin Laden made some good points, wait till I tell you about a vegetarian former art student with an ironic mustache whose impassioned oh manifesto about the Zionist <laughs> oppression of his people sparked a worldwide movement. Those are pretty good, Katie, but we would be remiss. If we didn't uh, mention the single best take of all of this whole affair, it comes from my close personal friend, uh, Nay Confidant. Girlfriend. Jesus fucking Christ, Katie. Gretchen Felker Martin, a horror writer most famous for writing a book in which J.K. Rowling dies in a fire. That book got massive acclaim from the likes of NPR and for threatening to both kill and sexually humiliate me, as in me personally. I'm not making that up. Link in the show notes. Which you liked. Huge fan of her tweets. Uh, here are the, here's what the tweets read. Okay, the Guardian yanking its copy of Bin Laden's letter to the people of America because a bunch of Zoomers read it and were like, oh, huh, this guy had some good points is a great end of 2023 joke. Can pretty safely say that Bin Laden and I did not uh, agree on much, but blowing up the World Trade Center is probably the most principled and defensible thing he did. He is also completely correct in his analysis of the role of capital in American domestic life and foreign policy. Wait, she's literally just endorsing the anti-Semitism. I didn't even realize that. It's not like the guy was snidely whiplash. So that's Gretchen Felker Martin, uh, who continues to be in good standing and like one of the most important sci-fi publishers in the world, no matter who she threatens to kill or sexually humiliate or what she says about 9-11. If you have the right politics, Katie, you can say whatever you want about anything, anytime with no punishment. I think probably the most principled and defensible thing he ever did was not divorce his wives when he was marrying other wives, but your mileage may vary. I think the most principled and defensible thing he did was get dumped into an ocean. Burial at sea. Green burial. It's very big. Should we uh, Should we do housekeeping? Let's do it. But first, an ad. <laughs> Shopify, the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses, has already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS. Does that mean piece of shit? <laughs> point of sale, I believe, Katie. <laughs> Katie, point of Katie, sale. do you think Shopify is advertising something called Shopify piece of shit? Just use use context clues. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. Shopify's sleek, reliable POS hardware takes every major payment method and looks fabulous at the same time. Take customers from picking it out to picking it up. Shopify syncs in-store inventory with Google. So when local customers search for that thing that they want that you have, bam, you're there. Demand meets supply, baby. Is it okay to say baby? Does that make me sound cooler? No. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system. That's POS, Katie. Or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. 
do retail right with Shopify, baby. Don't say that. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash barpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash barpod to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash barpod. Baby. Katie, I'm going to see if I can get through housekeeping in 30 seconds. Should I set a timer? Sure. Oh, oh, I can do this. I love this. Alexa, set countdown timer for 30 seconds. Apologies to everyone who's Alexa just started, set a timer for 30 seconds. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. It's running. Uh, we're Blocked Reporter. We're a podcast, blockedreporter.org. You can become a premium subscriber for three extra episodes a month for just $5 a month. Katie, what was our last one about? Say quickly. Oh, God. Zoos. Just zoos. Zoos. Yeah. Just zoos. Nothing Nothing weird. Just zoos. Uh, our Reddit is blockedreporter.reddit.com. Thank you to Soft and Chewy. Um, and you can buy our merch at barpodmerch.com. We are going to get some new... St- oh, there goes the siren. Alexa. Stop. We are going to get some new stuff up, Katie, soon. I'm telling you that now in front of everyone. I have some ideas Great. for t-shirts. Um, oh, 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 dude, I almost forgot. And I hope that I'm wrong about this, but... Oh, no. Oh, good. Okay. Katie, I don't want to alarm you. <sighs> we dipped down to a 4.6 for a while. You were supposed to do this quickly. Can we just skip this part? Apple Podcast Review Us. Give us a five-star review. We're at 4.7, but we have a tenuous hold on 4.7. Anything else, Katie? Blockreported.org. Okay. So we're talking about uh, autogynophilia, or we will be. Autogynophilia is this idea of love of oneself as a woman. It's associated, I believe, was coined by Ray Blanchard. Some people in the trans community hate this idea because it's an explanation for some feelings of basically transness, and they don't like that because they think that treats it as a, a paraphilia. Um, yeah, I, I, th- I think you, you should be a little bit more explicit. The idea is that you get off on the idea of yourself as a woman. Yeah, yeah, it's a sexual. It's like basically a sexual orientation. Uh, it's right. a para- a paraphilia. You're attracted to the idea of yourself being a woman, a man traditionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was like the whole cause of the Michael Bailey, Alice Drager affair. Just read her book, Galileo's Middle Finger. Now, uh, this came up recently. There was like a weird little flash of anger about autogynophiles. Right. It came up because of a conference that you attended in Denver recently. Uh, people were really upset that you were wearing a dress. Is that what happened? Mm-hmm. How was the conference? Uh, yeah, let's talk about the conference for a minute. It, it was interesting. So in the last couple of months, I've been to two different conferences on youth gender medicine um, and related subjects. One was the Society for Evidence-Based Gender Medicine in New York, and the other one more recently beginning of November with Genspect in Denver. Uh, It's been really interesting to see what had been considered like a fringe position that there are problems with the evidence for youth gender medicine become a bit more respectable and professionalized and mainstream. Because my read is that like activists had a pretty wild run of success starting, I don't know, 2015-ish, trying to convince everyone that that this was totally settled science. Um, But it so obviously isn't that there was going to be some dissent and and not all of it is from conservatives, clearly. Right. And to be specific, what the activists were saying was settled science was things like giving kids puberty blockers and then later cross-sex hormones. Yeah, that, that that helped alleviate their gender dysphoria. They'll kill themselves after that. We know these treatments are safe and effective for that uh, condition. Um, and, you know, Segum and Genspect have both been accused of being right 
wing groups. My experience is that anyone who raises questions, if they first raise those questions about youth gender medicine at noon, by 12.05, they are a right-wing hack. It doesn't really, nothing about their biography or prior political beliefs matter. It's, it's just a smear technique. Um, right. And and it is true that some people, that this is this issue can be a gateway for some people to move to the right. Yeah. I think Megan Murphy is an example of that. She was a Marxist, a Canadian feminist Marxist, and she has, over the past couple of years, been radicalized on this issue to the point where she is a no longer not she's not just no longer a Marxist; she's a Trump supporter, and she's Canadian. She can't vote, um, but she yeah, total like one eighty in politics. They don't have they don't have vote they don't have voting right. There. She lives in Mexico now, but she's just gone a total one eighty politically. And I think this was the other there are other issues, COVID things like that, uh, free speech issues for for sure. But this this issue. For a lot of people, is a gateway to, and I'm not saying that disparagingly. It uh, it can turn some people to the right because, frankly, the left has been really fucking crazy on this issue. It's also like a useful issue for people who are already on the right because, you know, it really depends on how you ask the question. But some of the stuff doesn't pull well. It is it is a useful controversy yeah. for people on the right, and they have genuine feelings of skepticism for it. So. Anyway, all these groups are accused of being right wing. It's often complicated, the politics of it. Um, and I should just like disclose and be clear. Like, I really do think of myself as a journalist. I attended both of these conferences as a journalist. Obviously, if you report on a given subject, you get to know people, you get drinks with them, you run into the same people over and over. But everything I'm saying here is just based on attending these conferences and talking to some people, not any like true inside knowledge. Um, but it seems like both groups are trying to set themselves up as alternative sources of mainstream authority on this issue. Like they're arguing that mainstream orgs like the World Professional Association for Transgender Healthcare, WPATH, have failed, and that groups like the American Psychological Association, the American Medical Association, um, are all, have all been derelict in their duty just because they're super politicized on the subject. The American Academy of Pediatrics is another really important big one. Um, but Segum and Genspec are taking really different approaches. Segum is sticking very, very closely to the science. I've been to academic conferences before, and this was like an academic conference. They brought in a lot of outside experts in the medical research methods field who have no particular background in trans issues. And weirdly, that's actually a plus, not a minus. Like, it gets nerdy, but the methods are the methods. And it's useful to have outside experts evaluate the evidence. So the superstar of the conference was probably Gordon Guyatt, who basically invented the field of evidence-based medicine. This is just a system for like making medical evidence stronger. And he thinks the evidence for youth gender medicine is quite weak, as has like everyone who's looked into it. So, And he's not a gender guy. I've, I've never even heard, it, heard his name. not close to a gender guy. Right. This is a guy you go to, like if, uh, if there's a new heart stent, you ask him about the evidence mm. for it. Uh, but he's gotten involved in this lately. He's been quoted by me, by Azeem Qureshi at the Times, and his university, McMaster, uh, Segem is actually working with McMaster to do evidence reviews for youth gender medicine. In a, in a way where Segum funds it, but then McMaster has complete independence about their findings. And they agree, you'll fund it. We are not beholden to you to find any particular thing. So they're trying, Segum's trying to generate publications that show the evidence 
from Sagan's point of view, they want the re- the results to be the evidence is weak because they think it is. Interesting. And then, uh, and so yeah, so those are like the methods nerds at this conference. And on the clinician side, they had folks like who you'd expect, Laura Edwards-Leeper, Erica Anderson, both of whom have years of experience working with gender dysphoric youth. Both have helped plenty of youth transition. They've been tarred as transphobes, but that's absolutely crazy. Anyone who has skepticism about this subject gets tarred as transphobes. They're as mainstream as you can get on this subject. And Erica Anderson is herself a trans woman. Yes. Okay, so that's Segum, bunch of nerds. What about Genspec? Yeah, so Genspec was founded by Stella O'Malley. She's an Irish psychotherapist who's become a real critic of um, not just youth gender medicine, but youth transition in general. Genspec has a lot of overlap with Segum. Obviously, both groups think the evidence for youth gender medicine is weak and want to draw attention to that fact. But whereas, as far as I can tell, Segum isn't looking to dabble in what you might call culture war stuff, even when there's like legitimate questions there. Genspect is about both youth gender medicine and the broader fight about sex and gender. So the conference I went to included a lot of sciencey, nerdy stuff that was good. Um, there was also a uh, talk about women's sports, and most regrettably, from where I sit, they invited James Lindsay to give a talk on the Marxification of gender. Yeah, James Lindsay, that jumped out at me, and it strikes me that if you want to be taken seriously outside of your bubble. James Lindsay is not the person to invite to speak at your conference, especially on this issue. Like if your conference is about uh, how to have impossible conversations, maybe invite him. Uh, But if your conference is about gender, maybe not. Yeah. I mean, from my point of view, this someone like Lindsay just tips you in the direction away from legitimate science and discourse, uh, which there was plenty of at this conference and, and into demagoguery. James Lindsay is not a serious voice on sex and gender. I thought his talk made very little sense. He just has these like, his theories are very superficial and um, often misguided in my view. And he's a huge prick online, just huge a prick. massive asshole, which does not help anyone, which most people associate with Genspect are not. And you were initially supposed to speak there yourself, right? Yeah, this was really, this was completely my fault. I got invited to talk about, you know, basically journalism on a panel Rookie mistake. I did not ask any questions about how the issue would be presented. I'm always happy to talk about the journalism of of covering this issue. Um, so I accepted. I asked him to cover my travel expenses and ticket to the conference. I didn't ask for any fee. Then I saw the title of the panel, and it just it just didn't seem right to me. It totally look. Genspect and I have different agendas, different beliefs. Um, it was something like the left's love affair with trans. And I just, I try to be like a real nuance bro on this. And I just, I didn't want my name on that panel. Maybe I'm being silly. Maybe I'm being oversensitive, but I didn't see the upside, especially because I could just pay my own way and still attend the conference as a journalist. So the next time, I think it's different if you're giving your own talk and you have full control over the framing and everything, like the talk I gave at UCLA. But next time I'm invited on a panel or to speak at a conference, or maybe I won't be now, um, I will definitely be more careful about it and ask more questions. I I felt bad. I I put them in a bit of a difficult situation. But at the end of the day, I have the right to choose how and where my name is used. You deplatform them. I deplatform them, yeah. Um, Yeah. Do you think you could have used the panel as an opportunity to argue with the premise of the panel? Yeah, I could have. I just didn't like, I I didn't feel like 
doing that. Like the conference is trying to do its own thing. They're allowed to make their own points. We're allowed to disagree. I don't even disagree that there's some issues with like the way the left covers this stuff. I just think there's also no. We we have spent many 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 hours discussing. I just I I I thought it was like a little bit inflammatory, and this gets down to some of the differences between the group. Nothing at Segum was remotely inflammatory. I mean, or maybe inflammatory. I'm I'm overthinking it. I just I I should have asked more questions, and I probably should have just attended as a journalist from the start. But I was very glad I went. It was really interesting. Okay, so James Lindsay, he was there. Did he bring his sword? Yeah, most of the um, most of his talk was just like him pretending to duel someone, and it wasn't clear who he was dueling. Yeah, and then he would say your mom a whole bunch of times. Mm-hmm, exactly. Uh, I actually I do want to get a little bit in, more into his into his talk, if you don't mind. Uh, was he? Did he seem? crazy when he was speaking the way that he does on twitter and because he comes across on twitter as a giant flaming fucking asshole he was more charismatic and less crazy seeming than i thought and more polished there had been one tv appearance he'd done in the past that was just a train wreck it was more just he didn't just recite a bunch of citations no well he dropped a lot of names he it was more and i haven't rewatched it since i saw it um but he makes all these claims trying to link everything to Marxism. And a lot of what he's saying is just what ideologues in general do, like accepting different standards of evidence, trying to change the subject. I just, he has like this grand theory. And um, uh, it's also like Yasha Monk's book talks about how a lot of the stuff actually isn't Marxism. It's, it's postmodern. It's a rejection of these grand theories. It's all just like, I don't think he really latches onto the nuances of what's going on or just how much of this is just like human nature and ideology in general. But um, he claims to be an expert on all these different thinkers. I don't think he is. Okay. So who are the good speakers? There were a lot. There's Stephen Levine. He also spoke to the Ket Segem. He's like a very old school clinician who had fascinating things to say about the assessment process. A lot of them more nuanced than you might think if you only saw James Lindsay on the speaker list. Alex Byrne, basically a friend of mine at this point. Really good guy. MIT philosopher. He gave a good talk about sex and gender. He just wrote a book about it. I'm mostly done with. I mentioned this already, I think, in the last episode. I'll be giving it away on my newsletter. Um, Lior Sapir, um, who I had a faux pas because I introduced Lior Sapir to my friend at the reception as conservative but honest. And he was like, but? Mm-hmm. Um, he gave a really smart talk on some of the legal and regulatory stuff with like self-ID and kids. And I'm not even saying I agree with every word of what all these folks said, but they were serious, thoughtful speakers. And they, they, you know, Bennett, the conference benefited from them. Colin Wright also gave a good talk on like males and females, whatever those are. Um, mm-hmm. Christina Buttons is studying detransitioners. Um, yeah, there were some people whose talks I thought were better and more nuanced than some of their social media output. But anyway, overall, yeah, that does happen. with some of the speakers, the conference had like way more of a tent revival feel. Um, I might be stealing that from someone else uh, than Segum. Like part of the idea was to fire up the audience, which included a lot of moms who believed their kids had rapid onset gender dysphoria for this massive fight against the establishment. So there was like talk of like ending WPATH, destroying WPATH. Um no one at Segum was talking about destroying the groups they uh, disagreed with. Yeah, right. So this is much more of an activist conference than the science conference. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's just important to keep in mind that these different groups might have different tactics and agendas. Like from my point of view, the presence of someone like James Lindsay in this conversation makes it much harder to treat this as the scientific controversy it is because people can pull that dumb move where it's like, well, if James Lindsay is talking about this, it can't be a real issue because he's crazy. Like it gives a lot of... Yeah, it gives a lot of fodder to the people trying to derail this conversation. Um, and one interesting example is Lydia Polgreen, a New York Times columnist, was was at this conference for one day, and she was talking to people. And 
I don't know if she plans on writing a New York Times column about it, but she's very skeptical of the idea that there's anything to be worried about when it comes to youth gender medicine, or at least that's my understanding of her position. If she'd been at the SEGM conference, she could have sat there for hours and never heard anything remotely inflammatory. Um, uh, Like, I do think if she wants fodder for a column about the spread of transphobia, the GenSpec conference, yeah, will have given her some stuff. And it's hard to know whether GenSpec should worry about it because like, no matter what GenSpec says, it's going to be called transphobic. So maybe from their point of view, who cares? And maybe having it be a bit more activist will raise them more money, get more parents involved. Again, this isn't me talking. This is like putting myself in their uh, organizational shoes. So yeah, I'm not good at politics. I don't know how leaders make these decisions, but I found the differences between the two groups very interesting. Okay, Jesse, that's all well and good, but we have been promising our listeners Outrage over a man in a dress, AGP. Let's get to that. Yes, AGP, once again, love of oneself as a woman, this uh, paraphilia that uh, I should say some people just, I mean, we're about to get to this. Some people say they have it. Uh, Some people say it's very. And see, some people also, some trans people uh, also say it's a myth. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's a myth because I know people who are AGP. I have a friend who is not an activist at all who is AGP, has been AGP since he was a little kid. Um, but yeah, the origins of this, as you mentioned, Ray Blanchard, he's a sexologist at where? Uh, Toronto or Northwestern? Toronto. Mike Bailey's at Northwestern. I should say, this is a subtly important point. Um, uh, Alex Burns' book, he talks about how like people pretend Ray Blanchard just made this up out of thin air in the 80s, but sexologists have known for decades that some people get off from imagining themselves as a woman. That, that core idea isn't new. But so, Ray Blanchard, this comes through years of interviewing transsexual women. This was before the term transgender was in popular use. And he postulated that there is basically two types, AGP, so that would be men who get off on the idea of themselves as women, and really, really gay gay guys, really, really gay boys. Sorry, and AGPs tend to be, to not masculine? seem effeminate, yeah. yeah, and to transition later in life. Right. So the typical AGP would be somebody who's attracted to women, so heterosexual, uh, more masculine presenting. So you hear stories about like guys in the military or someone like uh, like Caitlyn Jenner. Caitlyn Jenner, I don't know if Caitlyn Jenner identifies as AGP or even is AGP, but that, that would be sort of the classic AGP profile would be someone- Late transitioning, often had kids- masculine yes versus a basically a very very like a very very effeminate gay boy someone who uh someone who comes out earlier in life someone who is attracted to men and someone who probably would have grown up to be a gay man if they hadn't transitioned yeah and part of the reason trans people find this offensive offensive some do is that i mean first of all there's the argument that it's an oversimplification that those are like the two the two types of trans women um also some people just feel strongly like they are the other sex and that you don't really need a cultural explanation for it or or a more complicated explanation we have a mutual friend who's a trans woman who thinks that her gender dysphoria the root of her gender dysphoria comes from a medication that her mom took when her mom was pregnant with her there's also yeah one of the things that's a shame of the current discourse is like uh I don't want to essentialize, like, but trans people do have, they often have very interesting thoughts on gender and identity. And there's a whole rainbow worth of explanations of why people feel the way they do about their own gender identity. And we've really uh, called it down to essentialist slogans that don't capture everyone's experiences. So whatever you think about autogynophilia, some people identify as autogynophiles, and one of them was at this conference. Right. So the guy's name is Phil Illy. He, he identifies as a man. And he was at this conference. Basically, he would wear dresses and these sort of lady gloves. Um, by no means like a skimpy outfit. He stood out just because everyone else at the conference was wearing more or less gender normative clothing. For me, my you know my formal cargo shorts 
and Celtics jersey. Right. I mean, I did see photos of other trans women at this conference, including one shapeshifter people, some people might recognize from Twitter who was wearing sort of outlandish clothing. So no, but what I'm saying is like, he was the only person who their gender identity. Right. Right. She, I mean, she shapeshifter is, I think uh, might even be identified as a detransitioner. I'm not sure, but she passes as, as female. Yeah. Phil, Phil does not attempt to physically look female, but he dresses like a female. So he stood out in that regard. That's all I'm saying. He, he he identifies as a man in a dress. Yeah. Um, as an autogynophilic male in a dress. And he, he was giving out his book, auto heterosexual attracted to being the other sex. I haven't read it yet. Uh, it is not short as far as I can tell. People are mad that he openly identifies as autogynophilic. No one anywhere has been able to point to anything he did that should warrant him getting piled on. This appears to have started on November 6th with this tweet I'm going to ask you to read and describe. All right. This is Jen Speck tweeting, spotted uh, at autogynophilic and funk god artist. That's Phil and uh, I think a detransitioner named Laura. Check out at autogynophilic's book, auto heterosexual attraction to being other, the other sex, hashtag Jen Speck Denver. And then there's a photo of phil with this uh detransitioner named laura and phil is a man in a dress he's wearing this blue satin like it's like a suede, blue suede, suede satin yeah oh those weren't gloves he was wearing what are those called like they're like if they're armor they're bracers i know from role-playing games because i'm a male what would you call that uh, sleeves that looks to me like something that you would put on for like pt uh, I don't know what it is. Yeah. It's a blue, like a blue sleeveless, blue handless glove sleeve thing. Yeah. So Jen Speck subsequently deleted that tweet. We'll get back to that. Uh, on November 11th, Jen Speck tweeted, we deleted a tweet that mentioned a book by Phil Illy, an attendee of our Denver conference. Phil's book was referred to by one of our speakers. However, concerns have been brought to our attention about the book, statement forthcoming. But I think like what really sent this con and we'll get to the controversy in the book in a second but i think what really set this this controversy into overdrive was this audio message um posted by at gender receipts uh the tweet reads here detransitioner at detransaqua expressed to at the posy parker the quote trauma response end quote she experienced when faced with an agp parading his fetish at the hashtag genspect who are promoting his book conference Katie, remind people who Posey Parker is before we embed this audio. Posey Parker is a British campaigner named, her real name is Kelly Jean King. Kelly Jean Keen? Yeah, Kelly Jean Keen. And she has done this like world tour. She's a very charismatic speaker, very funny. She's done this world tour where she goes to different cities and speaks about gender stuff. I don't think she considers herself a feminist, but she is certainly gender critical. And she's like very inflammatory. She's very inflammatory. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's inflammatory. She's also funny as hell. Like a lot of people probably saw a clip of, um, of her that went viral that this, she went to, a pen uh, swim meet when Leah Thomas was was swimming was competing, and someone she gets in a fight with somebody. She's definitely not afraid to fight. And somebody says to her, "How do you know what a woman is? You're not you're not a biologist." And she said, "I'm not a vet, but I know what a dog is." She's very clever, you know. But she is yes for sure inflammatory. Here's what this detransitioner who attended the conference said in a Twitter space to Kelly Jean Keen, aka Posey Parker. Um, hello, I'm Preja. Um, I was uh, at the Ginspect thing, and I'm a detransitioner, for those who don't know. I guess I kind of just wanted to share my feelings a little bit. Um, first of all, I feel very heard um, by listening to you guys and validated, but also I know that some of my friends are listening to this now, and they don't agree with everything, and I feel 
I feel guilty for my emotions, um, which sucks. But when I first saw, um, the, the AGP guy, um, I, I was really, I was really shocked. You know, I, I had a trauma response, um, because of my experience in the trans community. You know, I, I used to think that everyone who had a trans identity was a victim of weirdness and, and mental illness and bad social interactions and I thought they were all innocent victims and I ended up being touched by one in my support group when I was a child and it just like brought those memories back um I I just wish like we could have been warned or something maybe like genuinely when I saw him at first I thought like he was from W Path and accidentally made it over or had come over in order to I don't know, but I just, I just had like a, a, a genuine little like trauma response in my feelings. So I just, you know, left and avoided because I, I like gaslit myself. I was like, I'm being judgmental. I'm being, ju- I'm being mean. I'm whatever. But another part of me is like, we shouldn't judge our nervous system for how it responds to outside stimuli. And it's not a completely illogical reaction. I don't know. I guess I just wanted to say thank you for, um, allowing me to have feelings that aren't being demonized. I, I don't know what I'm really allowed to feel, but it it felt bad. Katie, what do you think of this? I feel a little bit of sympathy for her, I suppose, but I also think that her response to seeing Phil Illy, this man in a dress who she was clearly not familiar with, uh, is an irrational one. Somebody else touched her, violated her another another age presuming this person was an agp uh so then she has a trauma response anytime she sees a a trans woman or a non-passing trans woman or a man in a dress um so i think that i can i feel a little bit of sympathy for her but i also think that her response was was i i'm sorry to say it i I don't think this was a rational response yeah it it actually reminded me of one of the talks was about like in a therapeutic at genspect was about the in a therapeutic context with youth gender medicine, um, the difference between validation and affirmation. So if you've, if, if a young person says they're in a lot of distress about their gender, you can validate that and say you really feel horrible and you know they're suffering and you want to talk about that, that versus affirming that they're definitely completely correct that they are the wrong gender. Um, I feel like you could use a version of that here. Like, I'm sorry this happened to her. I'm sorry she has this trauma response, but I don't really think it's fair to expect the world to organize itself around your own particular traumas and triggers, right? Right, absolutely. And I think one of the messages that a lot of for lack of a better term, gender critical or, or non-affirming therapist should push, or actually this is something I think all therapists should push, is resilience. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was like, that obviously got some attention. And I do view that as Posey Parker just being inflammatory and trying to stir up shit because I just feel illy. There's no sign. Oh, there's a cool red bird. <laughs> so easily distracted. Like it was a Robin. Um, yeah, uh, it's it just, uh, she's stirring up shit. She's dropping controversy bombs. Sure, she's a she is a shit stir for sure, but I don't think that this firestorm and shit has gotten really crazy on Twitter over this started with her or with this audio. I think it started as soon as the tweet was posted, as soon as the photo of Phil Illy went up on Twitter. Right, but there's nothing there, there's nothing to it. Well, Jesse, let's let's steel man this a bit because yeah. I don't I don't think that we should just dismiss these people's concerns. So what people were concerned about wasn't the fact that it was just a man in a dress. The reason that Phil Illy 
took so much shit is be specifically because he identifies as an AGP. And so the criticism from people on Twitter was that he was uh, he was involved. He was non-consensually involving people with it in his fetish. So that was the criticism. It wasn't just you know. There's a man in a dress, as J.K. Rowling famously said. Call yourself what you want. Wear what you want. It was this particular person, an open AGP, indulging in his fetish in public. Well, okay, that was first of all. Some people were saying that. A lot of people, it was just transphobia or making fun of sure. a male person in dress. The idea that because he identifies this way and presented that way, that automatically makes him a predator. And I just don't see that. I mean, I met him personally. He seemed like a perfectly decent guy. You're a guy. I know, but he also like, well, okay, let me just tell the story. I talked to him a fair amount, mostly at the opening reception the first night. Thanks to Stella, I was able to have a real life friend who you actually met, um, who isn't in the gender game. I just thought it'd be interesting for her to come to this event. Uh, she crashed the reception with me with Sasha, uh, Stella's permission. So my friend is like a femme presenting lesbian who has a lot of interesting thoughts about gender. And we all ended up having a pretty memorable and thought provoking conversation with Phil about it. There wasn't anything remotely creepy about him and phil seems to be a very thorough and detail-oriented guy he sent me a long email that included this section of multiple people including women who are all at the conference coming forward online in his defense we'll paste that at the bottom of the show notes for those who are particularly interested in the nooks and crannies we'll also include a link to a video by aaron terrell you know an old school trans man so born female who is he's skeptical of some of the new ideas in gender world um, i haven't watched this video but he defends phil and he defends the open discussion of autogynophilia so i just thought this was very unfair um and yeah i don't think that you're i don't think that you're fully appreciating why people were were pissed about this and i'm not agreeing with them that they should have been pissed i think actually people should wear whatever they want and i think a lot of this was actually just shaming him because he was a man in a dress yeah. but let's compare it to just another random kink right so somebody who is for instance really open about the fact that he gets off on uh on feet and then he goes to work at a shoe store or a guy who is really open about his leather that he gets off on wearing leather and then he goes to an event where he's where he's wearing a leather suit do you think that would be appropriate i think if they always wear leather and there's no sign they're sexually aroused or acting inappropriately i no, i think it's fine i understand why people find it a little bit weird but again nobody has like pointed to anything he did wrong it's much more about who he is and how he identifies than any actual claims about his behavior so um i don't think i i understand what you're saying but um this idea that he was non-consensually involving people in his fetish, you know, by that logic, trans people just can't exist in the world or autogynophilic people can't, can't exist in the world. I mean, I just, I think that I think for some, for some people who were weighing in on this, they are so disgusted by the idea of autogynophilia that, yeah, that's what they want. They want, they want autogynophilia to be, uh, to be taboo, to be hidden, like stigmatized. to be stigmatized. Yeah. Yes, I and I think it's more important to talk openly about the sexual component to some stuff involving gender because that's really been stigmatized mostly by mainstream trans activists, especially at a conference involving like youth gender medicine and youth assessment. Obviously, Phil's not youth, but like um, I think there's like a lot of kids for especially males for whom there's a sexual component and that never gets talked about when they're assessed because all you're allowed to say is like, oh, you're really a girl, you're a woman. And just the more we can destigmatize this, the better. And sorry, you're going to have to deal with the fact that like 
ideally we would live in a world where people can wear whatever the hell they want with no judgment. That's what made me really frustrated about this controversy. I'm biased because I met him and he acted with complete decency in class. And he did, I just I, yeah, but the fact that you had a nice conversation with him means nothing. And I'm I'm not saying he's a creep. No one has come out with any examples of him being a creep. And I can also see why Phil thought that this would be a safe space for him. He was at a conference with a bunch of gender heretics. But even one of the people who Phil cited in his email to you as defending him, Heather Hying, wrote a Substack piece saying, I met him, I got no creepy vibes from him, but I reject the public display of this fetish. She even says, normalizing fetishes are bad for society. I don't entirely agree with that. I think that talking openly about AGP is actually good. It helps dismantle this pervasive idea that trans women are just born in the wrong body. Yeah. And and like I'll say that I, I saw what amounted to a lot of transphobia on Twitter directed at Phil. And I saw I also saw a, a lot of very cruel, mean-spirited criticism directed at a woman named Julia Mallet. She's also a trans woman who was at the conference. She's been tweeting about the way that she's been tweeted, that she's been treated. Jen Speck posted a photo of her, and there were also lots and lots of really shitty comments towards her. Even if you like Jen Speck, even if you agree with Jen Speck, there's a lot of people online, some of whom probably attend the conference and some of whom are just randoms, who are fucking assholes online. And I think this is bad. I don't think people should be cruel to Phil, who, by all accounts, didn't do anything untoward towards anybody at this event. I don't think people should be shitty to Julia. I don't think people should be shitty to to detransitioners. The only people you should be shitty to are Zoomers who think Bin Laden was good, actually. There's a lot of cruelty in this movement. There really is. And I can see, as an example of this, Erica Anderson, the clinician we, we mentioned earlier, for people who want to see more gatekeeping and less and, and fewer kids getting things like puberty blockers, who, for people who actually want to follow the science on this, Erica Anderson is an incredibly important figure. Not only is she a clinician who's been working with trans people, including trans kids, for a very long time. She has a lot of experience. She's also trans herself. And she's been open about her concerns People are shitty to her online. Gender critical people are shitty to her. They call her he, they call her him. And if you want allies in this fight, you cannot win them by being a dick to people. Yeah, Stella uh, the O'Malley, the founder of Genspect, um, she eventually posted about this whole thing. You can read it. We'll include a link in the show notes. I'll read a little bit of what she wrote. We don't accept that Genspect is responsible if people are triggered by a photo of two people at a conference, and we believe that this type of thinking is regressive and unhealthy. Nor do we believe that Genspect should have removed Phil from the conference. He was behaving no. respectfully at all times. That Some people been take issue. Insane. Yeah, of course. Some people take issue with the fact that he was a man in a dress. We don't. We think this photo is important because it acknowledges the awkwardness of our position. Gen Speck's mission is clear. We offer a healthy approach to sex and gender. We want to take down gender ideology as we believe it is causing great harm. We support gender diversity so long as it doesn't harm anyone. We advocate for a non-medicalized approach to gender. We don't claim to have the answers, but we do have many questions. We believe that WPATH is the root, stem, and branch of harmful medical transition, and so we're particularly focused on dismantling their power. So she's making the argument basically that this is sort of a distraction, I think. Oh, it is a distraction. And I don't think it's been a particularly good one for Jen Speck. And if Lydia Polgrain, the New York Times writer, has been observing this, and she probably has, what she's going to see on Twitter is a lot of people being purposefully cruel. Yeah, it'll be. I mean, I, I, it's not fair unless these were Jen Speck attendees to take random internet bullshit. But um, I, yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure a lot of them weren't. Like everything else, once it leaves the bubble, you basically have no control over what people say. Yeah. 
and shouldn't be and shouldn't be held responsible for what people say either. Oh yeah, so that was another reason people were pissed at Genspec. They, you know, Genspec didn't really promote his book at the conference, although Alex Byrne mentioned it in his talk, but they did promote it in this tweet. And that's the photo of him with Laura the Detransitioner that started all of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So apparently Phil Illy mentions the possibility of young transitioners jumping straight to hormones without blockers in his book. I haven't read the book, but Alex Byrne has. Uh, he mentioned it in his talk. So I, I was emailing with him about it. Here's what he said in an email about Jen Speck's response and Illy's actual argument. Uh, he said I could share this part of our email. Quote, on AGP gate, in case you haven't recorded the episode, Jen Speck deleted not only a tweet with a picture of Phil and a detransitioner, but a live tweet about my talk, which noted that I gave a shout out to Phil's book. And as I'm sure you know, they deleted the book from their reading list. I presume the objectionable bit in the book is when Phil suggests going straight to cross-sex hormones instead of puberty blockers first, but it's pretty tentative. He's overall skeptical of medication for GD youth, end quote. So in my view, people are now reaching back for justification for their outrage, which has more to do with the um, AGP stuff because, you know, it's a huge book. It sounds like this was a brief mention and yeah. I think it was the color of the dress. It just didn't work for him. I think that's why people mad. It was a little bit like wearing white after Labor Day. Yeah, I'm. I don't know what that means, but I I, I believe you. <laughs> well, I think giving people, giving cross sex hormones to to little boys is a great idea. What we need is more boys with titties. <laughs> that boy's got some titties. <laughs> Katie, anything else? I mean, the last thing, there's just, there's so many different offshoots to this one fight. This is like the Medusa of internet bullshit. I keep thinking it's going to die and then it splits into different versions of the same purity Is spiral. that Medusa? I'm thinking like Medusa is the a one head sh- with lots of things coming off the top. Up. Oh yeah. Then you Snakes. chop off a head and more right. grow. Like at one point, James Lindsay got involved because of course he did. He tweeted something about humorless feminazis freaking out about Phil Illy about the man in the dress. And he was then not. Ma- and then in the next tweet, he probably called Phil Illy a groomer. Probably, yes. He, uh, yeah, and then would, James uh, was met with the wrath of turf Twitter. And then he responded to this by calling them bitches and hags and announcing that his next big intellectual project will be ex- exposing how feminism created queer theory. So we have that to look forward to, Jesse. Oh my God. And the bigger. Could that. That's, that's the worst thing TERFs have done. If TERFs actually <laughs> James inspired Lindsay right another book. <laughs> James Lindsay book, I'd be like, I'd punch a TERF. <laughs> and bigger picture beyond the drama, this has exposed some real conflicts, some fundamental conflicts within this movement. You have too many factions with too many competing values. Uh, Stella O'Malley, in her, her response to all this, this blog post that she put up, she called, she called that post the split. I think that covers what's going on here. Is this going to be a movement about gender expansion or gender contraction, or is it just going to split into various competing sects that all hate each other in Twitter, which looks to me like what's happening? Yeah, it sort of seems inevitable. And, you know, there's there are some strong personalities involved, uh, as is always the case. Yeah, and it's a movement that's comprised mostly of women. Well, I'm not, resp- I'm not <laughs> responding to that. I think that's just your own misogyny on display. There's this famed essay by a, a feminist. This was published in the 1970s. A woman named Joe Freeman wrote this and it was published in Ms. Magazine called Trashing, The Dark Side of Sisterhood. And it's it's about infighting within the feminist movement with you know in the 1970s. And so much of it repeats itself oh, endlessly uh, on Twitter every day, especially within movements that I think are mostly comprised of women, women and, and effeminate men. Anyway, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's interesting. It's good uh, contextual reading. What I'm worried about is if magpies can take spikes and repurpose them, what's to stop the pigeons from taking this net and trapping me in my own apartment till I starve to death? That's what I was thinking about as you were bashing women. You know what? As long as you have access to your microphone, I don't care. 
just slowly withering away. But I, it's like the uh, the people playing on the Titanic as it goes down. I just keep podcasting as I until <laughs> yes. I'm just a skeleton with a microphone. On that cheerful note, it's pecking your eyes out. This has been blocked and reported. Thank you for listening. As always, we are produced with help from Tracing Woodgrains and Jessica, the '80s baby. I'm Jesse Single, and remember, kids, Osama bin Laden is not Bay. And I'm Katie Herzog, and also remember, a man in a dress is fine, but a man in cargo shorts, that's creepy.